You're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern. Helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro. Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern and you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode 21. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 21. Today I'm joined by guest co-host Yolanda Prinzel, one of my oldest and most trusted connections in the freelance writing community. She is also a former regular contributor to All Indie Writers from back when it was known as All Freelance Writing. You may remember Yolanda's name coming up several times in my recent episode with Princess Jones. Princess and I both mentioned that Yo is a great colleague to go to when we need honest feedback about ideas or our writing. Asking writers you know personally to critique your work isn't always a good idea, but Yo's an exception. And that's what she and I are going to talk about today, both giving and receiving honest critiques from writers in your network, hopefully without ruining those relationships. Now, normally, I would simply start our pre-recorded chat for you here, but a little bit of a heads up, there will be an interruption in the middle where you'll have to hear me yap all by my lonesome again. Yolander and I have had a few technical issues in trying to record this episode. We're going to try something different. We're going to start out with part of the pre-recorded call, then we're going to cut back to me, and then we're going to finish up with the pre-recorded call because, unfortunately, later in the show, I reference a story that got cut, so we're going to go back and talk about that. But for now, let's get started with the beginning of my pre-recorded call with Yolanda Prinzel. Welcome, Yo. I'm so happy that you are finally on the show with me. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great, too. For our listeners, we should note that Yolanda and I actually recorded this chat um, a little while ago, about a week ago, and my app that records our podcast calls crapped out. It recorded all the dirty personal stuff that we can't share with you, but it missed the entire show. So we are trying again, and if you notice any odd awkwardness, that is probably because we have already talked about this before, Um, so we're losing a little bit of that normal back-and-forth dynamic, (laughs) maybe. So that's where we stand, and today we are talking about you know, critiquing and beta reading and editing for other writers, specifically for friends or for colleagues that we know very well. So, Yo, let me just start by asking you, is this generally a good idea? Would you recommend that most writers <laughs> take this on for friends? What did I say last time? No. <laughs> said no. Okay. And I agree. So this time... This time, I'm going to say yes. Okay. It's a great idea. Everyone should do it. Peer pressure. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to introduce some variety, so I'm going to disagree with myself. I'm going to disagree with everything I said in the last call. So. Oh, my goodness. So how often do you do this? How often do you take on critiquing and beta reading and editing for people that you know really well? Not often because I I only do it for people that I like. <laughs> there are not so many people. <laughs> it's, yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't happen. I can relate to I, that. <laughs> okay. I know that sounds really terrible, right? But it's time consuming. It's it really is. time consuming, and it's not. Uh, you know, I don't I don't really charge for it. Um, you know, the yeah. it, it's just time consuming. So I have to really like the person and kind of get them and want to do this for them. Yeah. Now, if you ask me to do it for you and I tell you no, it doesn't necessarily mean I don't <laughs> like you. Um, I'm going to ask you tomorrow to critique something for me. I'm really peeping myself into a really bad corner here. Um, let's see. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I don't do it very often because it's hard. It's time-consuming, and you've got your own projects and your own writing to do. So, True. Yeah. Yeah, it is tough. It's the same thing here. I don't do it very often. and. We'll talk about a few examples vaguely during this chat, but um, you are actually... We will? Well, not too many specifics. I can't wait to hear them. (laughs) You've never heard them before. I've never heard them before. This will be so interesting. This is going to be most of the show. 
So us referring back to the fact that we've already done this. I know. I can't. Oh. Oh my. Well, okay. Let's let's start right here with an example. Okay, you were actually one of the first people that I would consider a friend who I actually was willing to do a critique for. And the problem is that I can be a little bit blunt sometimes, so I worry that I'm going to alienate the other person. And, you know, writers, we're a sensitive lot sometimes, and our work is our baby. And with you, I didn't worry about that because I knew you. I knew that you were a bit of a hard ass yourself. You know, you could take it. You could dish it out. You could take it. And I knew that you weren't going to hate me for it, even if we disagreed. You know, you had brought up in our previous call that we had apparently gotten into a fight about something that I totally didn't even remember. <laughs> that that's rare, but that just goes to show you know, that's together we can we can do that. We can have that back and forth and still be friends. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But you have to know that about the other person. You can't. Um, you know, some people they're going to get so offended that they'll never speak to you again. So it's it's a fine line. You know, you really have to know the person and. Not only that, but on the side of being a writer, because you've also critiqued some of mine, um, I could go to you because I knew that I could trust you. I knew that you respected me, and I knew that you would want, or I assumed you respected me, (laughs) and I knew that you would want the work to be better, you know, that anything you were saying to me was about making it better because you wanted what was best for me. And if I didn't think that you could do that, I wouldn't have asked you. So that's really what the key is for me. If I don't have that dynamic with someone, I'm probably not going to critique or beta read or anything for them. Well, and I think you, before you decide to critique someone's work, I think you have to know them well enough to understand their intentions. You know, there are a lot of people who are, are just insecure. They don't actually want to critique. They want someone to go, yeah, this is worth spending your time on. This is, you know, this yeah. is worth writing. Keep going. And it, for those people, when they say they want to critique and you actually critique them, they could crush them, which is yeah. not what anyone wants. So knowing a person well, which is why I always say you should definitely always critique good friends' work. I mean, I might not have said that in the original podcast we did, but now <laughs> I'm firmly on that side. Um, <laughs> Is because when you know the person well, you you know what they're looking for. And, I mean, I'll use Princess as an example. You know, Princess wants her work to rock. She really yeah. does. It's not that she doesn't have, you know, personal pride or a personal stake in it. It's that she's like, uh, this shit needs to be really good. So what can we do to make it good? And she's not taking anything that I say personally as a slight about, you know, her, her writing ability or anything. She's saying, okay, this is what's going to make this is what's going to make the reader really fucking happy to read this thing. Yeah, yeah. But if you don't know the if you don't know the intentions, if you don't know what your uh, the person asking you for critique actually wants, it can get a little murky. Yeah, yeah. Some people just want a pat on the back, and you know, if you want to give your friend a pat on the back, give them a pat on the back. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's definitely different from a critique. And you know, I'm glad we got to you know, turn that around on Princess a little bit since uh, she talked about you so much. (laughs) And for those who missed it, Princess actually has a Yolander puppet um, that she goes to first when she needs to be told no about a decision that she knows is bad. Yeah, I I really resent that, though. Why does the Yo puppet only say no? Why doesn't the Yo puppet ever say yes? Maybe I just don't say yes often enough. The picture you sent her does say poop on it, but it's not exactly it's not exactly a positive message. Yes, that's true. That's a good point you bring up there. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe you should send her another picture. Something pleasant <laughs> on it. <laughs> you know. If I send her a picture like of something positive or a positive word, she'll think that someone has hacked in to my Facebook account. So that's good work. Send her a picture of a unicorn. They're happy. <laughs> Better yet, we need a picture of Yo with a unicorn horn. Unicorn. Wow. <laughs> that can be arranged. That can be arranged. Hello again. As I said before, I am interrupting our pre recorded chat. 
I know that listening to me talk is not going to be quite as exciting as the idea of a unicorn. However, I hope you'll bear with me. We lost some of the conversation due to technical issues, and I want to fill in. So I want to share some of the conversation I had with Yolander related to choosing critique partners who are familiar with your genre or your style of writing or in nonfiction authors' cases, your niche. And then we'll talk a little bit about communication styles and the risks involved if you aren't careful about knowing how your critique partner communicates well. And then I have a recommended editor to share with you from Yolander. So one of the reasons I chose Yolander for the show, or I should say that Yolander and I chose this particular topic, is the fact that we have both critiqued each other's work in the past. And we're both also very blunt people for the most part. And we knew that about each other. So when I went to Yolander to have her critique the first chapter of my first cozy mystery, I knew the feedback was going to be blunt and it was going to be honest. And I could trust that. She wasn't going to kiss my ass. She wasn't going to be afraid to tell me anything. And that's what you need in a critique partner. Now, Yolander, on the other hand, sent me her first novella, and we won't mention the name or her pen name because she doesn't want her freelance writing clients in the finance industry to know about that pseudonym and that work. But just a general description of it would be paranormal romance parody. Not exactly the kind of thing that I generally read. So she didn't really read Cozy Mysteries, and I didn't really read paranormal romances. So... We didn't seem like great picks for each other as far as a critique went, right? But it actually worked out really well because not only did we know that we could trust each other to give feedback on the basic story and we would get the perspective of a reader, but both of us also weren't afraid to tell the other one no or to stand up for certain things in our stories that you know, as she put it, you know, tropes that her readers expected. So I might have thought something seemed ridiculous, but she knew her readers would expect certain things, and she knew not to cut them. Now, in my case, with the beginning of the mystery, Yolanda actually, um, she referred to my lead character as a bitch, <laughs> and we actually had a good laugh about that the first time we tried to record this, because she totally didn't remember that. <laughs> But at the time, yeah, I was a little offended, but I got over it fast because I knew that she was giving me feedback that she thought was in my best interest because she cared about making sure that my story was the best it could be. And the truth is, she was right. The character did come across that way. Not to me, because I knew the backstory. I knew why she had the feelings that she had, why she was saying what she was saying, but I also didn't want to weigh down the very beginning of the novel with so much backstory. So it comes in right at the action, and the character didn't really come across how maybe she should have. Animosity was important between her and the eventual victim. That's how she becomes a suspect in the crime. But she didn't need to be quite as harsh as she was in the initial draft. I loved the first set of revisions I did on that chapter based on Yolander's feedback, but as a side note, that was actually a terrible lesson for me in backups. That revision, unfortunately, was lost in a hard drive failure on my laptop at the time. And like a good writer, I had a backup on a USB drive. It's a little monkey. I call it my manuscript monkey. And actually, because of this incident, I now have two of them. And so I said, no big deal, right? I'll pull out my little manuscript monkey and I'll pull my revisions up and keep going from there. Well, I go to plug the USB drive in and the damn thing is corrupt. So not only did my computer's hard drive fail, but my USB backup failed too. So now my rule with manuscripts is triplicate is my bare minimum. I have two manuscript monkeys and I have my laptop. I also frequently email a copy of them to myself so that they're saved in my Gmail account or on my server. 
And I also have a secondary backup laptop, my old one that I rebuilt, which was the one that originally failed. So I have that hard drive and an external hard drive as well. So three backups is my minimum. I could have as many as six. I had to rewrite that first chapter from scratch again. And again, I used Yolander's feedback. I know it wasn't the same as the first revision, which was unfortunate because I liked it and I didn't remember enough details to really recreate it, unfortunately. But it still ended up far better than that initial draft. So I'm eternally grateful to Yolander. And while she isn't on this segment of the show, you know, her basic point was she came to me because she knew that I would be blunt. She knew that I wasn't going to pussyfoot around something. I was going to tell her if something sucked, if it didn't work. And she also knew that I'm a bit of a detail-oriented person at times, so I might pick up on certain things. I think later in the show, she describes me as analytical, which is, which is accurate. So, you know, that was the example of how the two of us came to work together, even though we didn't necessarily read each other's genres. And it worked out really well. So when you're choosing a critique partner, it is more important, in my opinion, I won't speak for you out here, it is more important that you trust the individual, that you trust your friend or your colleague or whoever it is that you're close to that you're asking, that you can trust them to be completely and totally honest with you. If they don't read your genre, yeah, there are things that they're going to miss. There are things that they might not pick up on. And as Yo had put it, you know, that's what beta readers are for. Make sure your beta readers are familiar with your genre. That's a little different than a critique partner. With a critique partner, it's not about the nitpicky proofreading. And it's not about genre expertise. It's more about your writing and whether or not it works on a larger scale. So that's what you're looking for. You want honesty and someone that you communicate with well. Now, in addition to beta readers and critique partners, you're probably going to work with an editor. And Yolander had recommended the editor that she uses. She adores her editor. Her name is Jen Summersby. Unfortunately, that got lost in the part of the recording that the app failed to capture. So I did want to mention Jen. Again, her name is Jen Summersby. She comes highly recommended by Yolander Prinzel. She's worked with her on both fiction as well as financial writing. And Yolanda had nothing but praise for her. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to link you to Jen Summersby's website in the show notes, which you'll be able to find at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 21. So remember your critique partners, your beta readers, your editors, those are all different people. Ideally, they do different things. And if you're looking for an editor, Yolanda recommends Jen Summersby. Now, I had talked about communication. And in my chat with Yolanda, I shared some personal stories about this being an absolutely shit month for me as far as communication. And I had shared these stories to share a little bit about what went wrong and how it relates to communicating with a critique partner. So I want to share those first two stories with you individually here because they were cut off, unfortunately. When I go back to the pre-recorded call with Yolander, it actually picks up right with the start of the third story. So where to begin? I am a communications professional, <laughs> for those who don't know. So you would think I'd be able to communicate reasonably well, right? And through my writing, I usually do. But in a one-on-one -on -one interpersonal way, I struggle just like everybody else sometimes. And April has been pretty damn bad, let's just say. So three, not one, but three people that I care about are apparently not speaking to me, at least for now. I want to start with the first, which is someone that, unfortunately, I had lost touch with quite a few years ago, and we recently reconnected. And it's, it's hard to explain without going into private details, and I'm not going to do that to them. But long story short is we had real issues communicating. It was just a case of my big mouth and saying the wrong thing. And I just, I don't really know what happened or if I even came across the way I was trying to, or if 
something was misunderstood because we do tend to do that sometimes. Yeah, but this situation is heartbreaking because I've always cared a great deal about this person and I was very happy to have them back around. So you know, hopefully eventually they'll forgive me for whatever it was that I said in particular and it'll be fine. The reason that this was able to happen the way it did was largely about the medium. We are both extremely busy people and we live in different time zones. So it wasn't easy to communicate well and we relied on email. Now the problem is I knew from our past that we don't communicate very well via email. And the reason that I bring this up is because medium is so important. You need to know how this other person communicates. I never should have allowed email to be a primary form of communication. You know, I should have either said, hey, why don't we try chatting another way? Or I should have backed off more. And because I didn't do that, now I've alienated this person and probably never came across the way that I intended to come across. And that can happen with a critique partner. You have to be really careful because critiques are really sensitive areas for a lot of writers. So, you know, know the person that you're critiquing, know what they're comfortable with, know how they're likely to react to certain forms of communication. Just know because the medium, it really matters. That was just the start of my April. <laughs> it got a little worse from there. So we'll talk about an old friend. In this case, it was a political disagreement. As I'm sure most of you know, the U.S. is going through presidential primaries right now. And my state's primaries just happened earlier this week. But prior to that, I was having a conversation with a friend who lives here in the state. And he made a comment that didn't make a lot of sense. He was ranting about a certain politician. I'm not going to get into you know, his political stances here. But he basically said if this politician gets elected, something awful was going to happen. There was no factual basis to it at all. It was something completely absurd. And I didn't confront him about it. But what I did was I just asked him sort of casually, you know, oh, what makes you think that? You know, why would you think such and such is going to happen if so and so gets elected? And that was enough. Like, it's just that politically tense right now that that was enough. Just trying to have a conversation and open a dialogue was enough to set them off. And so he's not talking to me either. And in that case, you know, it's fine. He will get over it. I We've had enough disagreements. I know he'll get over it, but it's still, it's not fun right now. But in that case, it comes down to knowing another person's sensitivities and sometimes even trying to deliver a critique or even a question gently, it isn't enough. So you may think that you're being careful. You may think that you're being considerate of this other writer's feelings, but they may latch on to something or they may misread you. So be prepared for that. It's important to focus not only on the bad, but on the good. You don't want to just come at them with something critical. And we will talk more about that in the rest of the pre-recorded chat with Yolander. You know, but I just want to emphasize that communication is so important. You really have to know the other person you're dealing with. And I know that given my track record this month, I'm in no position to teach you about communication. I'm going to leave it at that. So here you go. Back to the pre-recorded chat with Yolander. There's a female friend who came to me for relationship advice, and we've always been honest. She knows I will always tell her what I really think, and I figured that's why she came to me, right? No. <laughs> oh. She wanted reinforcement, and now look, you know, you gave me some unsolicited relationship advice yep. last yep. time we talked, and it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to hear. Um. <laughs> Or anything you even wanted from me, but, you know, it came out anyway. Yeah, I didn't even ask for your opinion, I bitch. I didn't even ask. 
didn't even ask. You didn't have to. You didn't have but to. It's fine. But you know, but it's fine. And I know that you said it because you cared. I also know that you don't know the whole situation, so I understand why it's easier to judge, you know, sure. certain people and behaviors. And right. I know that it's not necessarily the whole story, you know, that you only got one side of it very briefly and all of that. So I can take that all into account when I say, ask you. <laughs> it's like, in her case, she she couldn't even do that. It was more, you know, this was a situation where it wasn't her just coming to me ranting about a guy and asking what to do. This was a relationship between them that I've seen going on for a long time, and I know how he treats her and how he behaves. You need to remember these things, you know, because didn't you come to me about X, Y, and Z recently, too? And, you know, it's starting to add up. And she didn't want to have to reflect on certain things, I guess. And Mm -hmm. it was easier to shoot the messenger. And, again, she will get over it. It might be longer in that case because I think she felt more personally offended. But I'm also not going to go groveling and ask anybody. I'm not going to beg anybody to come around and be a part of my life. That's just, I don't have time for that shit. (laughs) I just don't. Yeah. So, like, if you can't take it, I'm sorry. But I'm not going to lie to you just to make you happy either. So that's an awkward situation. And so, yeah, this whole month has been me alienating people that I'm close to. So thank you for still loving me. (laughs) You and the girl. It it really brings up an interesting point, though, because those are the same issues that you're going to deal with, in a way, when you're critiquing or, I mean, even just looking at someone else's work just to give them, like, a brief opinion, not a full-on critique. Because one of the things that people, anybody who I have a relationship with in, in my life, my husband, my best friend, princess, you know, you, you, all of you know, I sometimes have to be told what you want from me. Yeah. Like last week, uh, I gave you unsolicited advice that you weren't asking for, um, but that's just, you know, that's just what happens with me. I don't think before I speak and I just say (laughs) something, even though really I shouldn't be giving the advice without knowing the full story. But anyway, if you had said, listen, you know, I just want someone to listen, then it's up to me to say, okay, I'm going to be that person for you, and then to do that. And so when we're critiquing other people's work or reviewing other people's work, we have to do the same thing. You know, if I'm on some kind of weird tangent critiquing someone's work about a certain thing that I don't think is right, and that person says to me, look, you need to let that go. I understand what you're saying. I've evaluated it. It works. I want you to pay attention to something else. You have to be willing to take that direction so that you're actually helping the person, not fulfilling your own agenda. Yeah, exactly. And you can't be afraid to be the one who asks for something specific and say, look, you know, you know, all right, I think one of the biggest issues I've had with sending work to other people, one of the reasons I don't do it as much anymore is I find that sometimes other writers, they completely miss that you're asking for a critique of the story or the overall ideas that you're trying to present. And instead, yes. they're so focused on the nitpicky proofreading and you're like, I haven't even gotten there yet. You know, that comes no. later. The line editing, the proofreading, reading, that is going to come later. And I will clean that up. I will. <laughs> I know <laughs> that there are problems, but that until is not story, what you need. Right. Until your story is solid, there's no point. You're going to edit the work. You're going to change things completely. Why would you proofread it at that point? It doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. It's, yeah, that's very frustrating. And also, it can be demoralizing. You know, yeah. I when I write drafts, I tend to write fast. And so there mm-hmm. are, like, spelling errors and grammar things. And sometimes there'll be words in all caps because I'll be like, that's not the word I want, but it's something like that. Yeah. You know, I don't need I don't need anyone fixing that. I'm going to make it all beautiful. I'm going to turn the sentences into these, you know, great descriptions and shit later. Right now, exactly. let's just think about basics of the story, you know. How are my characters? How uh, is the plot? How is, how appealing is it? Does it keep you reading? You, it, things like that. Not, yeah. you know, did I spell donut right? <laughs> oh, my. I wouldn't let a living soul see a first draft. <laughs> Mine are such a mess. <laughs> you know what's funny is I had an idea one night 
for a story when I was um, I was just talking to Princess online, and I, I just had this idea, and I started writing it, and I was sending her pages just as I was writing them. Okay. I was just sending them over. Like, I'm very open. I don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't put it on Amazon. I wouldn't sell it until yeah. it had been edited and stuff, but what's like my friends, I don't care. I'll, I'll write it right now and send it to you. And You're braver than I. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know what that is. Because I wouldn't say that I'm like thick-skinned or anything. I just, I don't know. It's like a fun, it's a fun experiment. How can we all get together and make this thing kick ass? What can we do? Yeah. I don't know. It's exciting. Yeah, like collaborative writing. See, like those websites, you know, where you do that live. And I don't know that I could do that. I don't think I could. I think I'd be, I could do that. I couldn't do that. No. <laughs> I would be not so much nervous about what people would say necessarily, but I think I would overanalyze everything I was writing, knowing it was going to somebody else right away. And I think I would lose that really fast flow that I get during a rough draft. So I think that would slow me down significantly. But that's just you know me. What, so For others, that's great. I mean, but- that makes sense, though. That's the thing with you. Like, if I have a question about, um, I don't know, like the terms and services of a, a website, I will go to you because you will understand <laughs> every sentence exactly, and you will have a history of the law, and you will say, you know, yeah. in in GD versus uh, Simonton, <laughs> they set precedent, and you will know everything. I'm not analytical. I am just not analytical like that. I sign user agreements without reading them. I'm like, yeah, I can share it. Do whatever you want. I trust you. You would never hurt me, right? Um, Like, I'm like the least analytical person when it comes to that stuff. So I think for me, it's just fun. It's like, oh, man, let's write this story about this thing. And then I just want to start writing it. And I want want people to read it and be like, oh, man, this is awesome. You know what would be even cooler if they did this? I'm like, oh, it is cool. Let's do that. So I think it's just the, the differences. I could see you being really analytical about your yeah. work whereas yeah, yeah. I talk before thinking so <laughs> you know that I do I do too with talking which is how I get in so much trouble with my personal relationships oh but with, with writing but with writing no and um and you know what Yolanda's actually dead on <laughs> I I read a lot of case law <laughs> for fun <laughs> I know I told you we weren't <laughs> We were talking on the blog recently about how I'm literally the type of person who reads textbooks and academic journals and medical journals and, yeah, case law and things like that. Honestly, you know, and what's funny is this week I've actually been waiting to get yelled at by you. Oh, no. What did you because do? I, so I started submitting uh, photos to uh, or pictures to Photolia. Okay. Just, you know, building um, my own little portfolio where, you know, people can buy them and use them as stock photos. Okay. And I tweeted a link to my portfolio. And the minute I did, I thought, okay, this is what's going to happen. Jen Mattern is going to send me a message. And she's going to go, did you go exclusive with Photolia? And I'm going to go, yep, I sure did. And then Jen Mattern is going to go, why did you do that? Do you know when you sign your uh, exclusivity agreement with Photolia that they can do blah, 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 blah? And I'm going to go, nope, because I didn't read the agreement. I was tired, and I just wanted to be done with it. (laughs) I missed the link. I really have been waiting. I'm going to have to go back to your Twitter feed now. And I yeah. will be no, reading now, now the, you're going to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go yeah. read the Photolia Terms of Service. Yep. And you're going to tell me what mistake <laughs> I've made. It's going to be amazing. Okay, expect an email after this call. I know. I've been waiting. And, and the thing is, your email is going to say a bunch of stuff that I don't understand. <laughs> I'm going to get, like, tired while I'm reading it. I'm going to be like, I don't really care anymore. I don't give a shit. You can have my firstborn baby. It just doesn't matter to me. Whatever. Just find my pictures because they're really good. Okay? I don't care. Oh, my. Lori Widmer and I are planning to launch a new website together soon. And we are officially announcing it in early May during her Writer's Worth Month at wordsonpageblog.com. Everybody should check it out. She is going to kick it off with a rant from little old me 
about guest posting and how writers get it so, so wrong. But what we're going to be announcing is a new site. I don't want to give too many details for fear that Lori is going to yell at me. So I'll yell at you and Lori can yell at me. <laughs> Why are you? Um, oh, yeah, for the Fotolia thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot already. See? I already let it go. <laughs> But um, so I'm not sure how much she wants me to share yet, but we're not launching the site just yet, but we are planning to open up the newsletter starting next week. So I am trying to go back to grad school soon, and I'm specifically looking for a research-heavy master's program right now. So I'm sitting here thinking about things that I'm interested in researching and pursuing, and... I don't really have a lot of reason to wait until I'm in school to start research. You know, this is already a really big part of the PR profession. I have a lot of experience with this in, you know, analyzing data, conducting surveys and things like that. So the research side of it and also the writing side of it, you know, reports and articles and things like that is right up my alley. So I decided that there's no reason for me to wait, and I want to start getting into research projects. So I talked to Lori about this new site we're launching, and I asked her what she thought about letting me run a research project through that new brand, and she's totally on board with it, which is awesome. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because the topic has to do with my interest in the way studies, you know, academic studies from scholars, and also industry studies how information from studies actually gets to end consumers and end readers. And, you know, the fact that, you know, like I said, I read a lot of academic journals and medical journals and things like that, and I can understand that. But a lot of people don't. And so they're not exposed to that information. They don't have access to it. And even if they did, they wouldn't read it, right? And even industry yeah. studies, industry studies can cost thousands of dollars to get access to and I'm very fortunate that, A, if I wanted to, it's a business expense, so I can deduct it at the very least. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but, but, B, I often get access to really fantastic industry studies through my clients who have paid for it so that I can analyze the data for white papers and other reports that they're putting out. And so I'm in a position where I have access to a lot of this kind of information and I try to take advantage of it. But so my concern and something that I've been interested in researching and after talking to people recently is, you know, academics tend to write for other academics. And I find that infuriating, so infuriating, because as a professional writer, I understand the value of taking complex topics. And also as somebody from a science background, I have a very strong passion for science and math and being able to take those kinds of complex ideas and mm -hmm. make it easy for other people to understand who don't have the same background. I understand the importance of that. That is a big part of what I do in my role as a communicator, not only through my writing, but through my PR work when I'm working with industry leaders who want to come across as thought leaders in the industry they're working in. I have to make them sound human, you know, not like yeah. robots talking to other robots. And so exactly. I find it infuriating when these academic papers and these industry reports are written in a way that it's almost like you don't want people to understand the work that you're doing. And that is so counterintuitive to me. And so I was thinking, wow, you know, what would be a really great introductory research project to see if this line of research is worth pursuing in an academic sense for myself? would be to start by talking to some of those academics I know and start talking to some of those journalists I know. Specifically, I want to reach out to journalists who work in medical and scientific areas or business areas where we're generally talking about more complex topics. And I want to talk to the journalists. And I talked to Lori first. She works in the insurance industry, which is a good example here. And so I said, Lori, how do you feel about me talking to journalists about the, how they feel about the access they have to information, to studies, to industry details, the kinds of things that they're supposed to be writing about, and what it's like for them trying to take that 
complex information from academics and from industry insiders and get it to the readers. And she immediately jumped on it being a great idea and she used an interesting word, which was that you're she said, you know, different journalists, mm-hmm. they translate the information from academic studies differently. And I was like, man, you know, that that absolutely nails what I'm talking about here because it is. It's as if they do. They have to translate the information, and it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to get from, you know, the study to the end people who need to know the information without things getting lost in translation. And so, I don't know. That's just something I'm just strange, and I find that fascinating. But anyway, the reason I brought that up is because you were talking about, you know, reading legalese and things like that. But, yeah, so you can look forward to that. Uh, keep an eye on All Indie Writers. Subscribe to my newsletter at allindiewriters.com slash newsletter. Or go to Lori's website at wordsonpageblog.com. Or follow either of us on Twitter, and I will link to both of us there in the show notes at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 21. We will announce something soon. And if you're interested in taking part in that research, if you happen to be a journalist who specializes in business or medical topics or other scientific topics, then reach out, get in touch, let me know, and I will put you on my list to talk to you more about your thoughts on access to academic and industry research. So, anywho, now that I've completely sidetracked that conversation, (laughs) we were talking about communication and how I'm terrible to give communication advice lately. And I want to go back to that first example I gave where I alienated somebody and I said it was largely about the medium and that we don't communicate well through it. And the reason I brought that up is because I think when you're doing a critique, it is really important to know the other writer, not only that they can take your critique, but in knowing the best ways to communicate with them. Um, You know, like in this particular case, email wasn't good. So if you know that this person that you're critiquing is going to take that email and maybe they're going to read it five, ten times, and especially that one little, you might have said a ton of positive shit, but you said one little negative thing, and then that's the one thing they're going to read over and over and over and over again and before they respond to you and decide that they hate you forever, then <laughs> then you don't want to deliver that critique that way. <laughs> Instead, it's probably better to have a live conversation so that you're forcing them to move on as you go over it. It might be getting on the phone. Maybe you send them the email, but you get on the phone right away um, and kind of walk through it with them. But kind of, you know, get a feel for that or do it on Skype or some other way that you can have a conversation where they're going to get the most out of it and not necessarily harp on the wrong things or the little things and you have to know how you communicate you have to know how they communicate and I would like to think most of us could just do that via email um, you know and send the document back over with edits but you know it, it really all comes down to knowing who you're critiquing and who you're asking because communication methods matter and their level of sensitivity matters and it's well I think that's part of the reason why I like to only do critiques for people that I, you know, know to some extent because I'm very blunt and I, I you know, my husband calls me acerbic. Like <laughs> I'm, I just say it because again, I'm, I'm not thinking. I'm really just not thinking. I just say a thing and don't expect anyone to be hurt by the thing. So I have to know who I'm dealing with because I, obviously you don't intend to hurt anyone's feelings, but when you're blunt and you, you don't really think about it, you certainly can. So yeah. I have to know that the person, you know, understands my intentions and knows how to take me in order to actually get something out of my critique instead of, I don't know, being insulted, and then it's just not even useful anyway. Yeah. I think part of my problem is that normally I am blunt like you, but there are certain people where I kind of feel like I have to put on kid gloves because I know they have a history of being sensitive, and I don't like that. Um, I think sometimes I overdo that or I really misstep when I try to do that and I make things worse. And a, a critique, again, that's really dangerous because 
you don't want to worry so much about hurting their feelings that your feedback, like you said, becomes pretty much useless. And then when they do go to a more impartial editor or someone later, they are going to be crushed. And then they're going to hate you yeah. because you didn't bring things yeah. to their attention. So, well, again, it's about balance. It and they get bad reviews. Yeah. They get bad reviews from readers. That's really going to crush them. Exactly. And, I mean, I think we talked about this last time. Like, obviously, with my clients, I'm definitely more diplomatic, you know, less blunt, more likely yeah. to reach for the phone. But, and this, again, is going to make me sound like an asshole. But, hey, I mean, <laughs> I've set a precedent there, so why not go with it? My clients are paying me. If I'm doing a critique for you, you know, it's very likely I'm not getting paid anything for it. So to ask your critique partner to put in extra time to make smiley faces and figure out how to word something so that it's extra dental and, you know, put unicorns on the paper. I don't I don't unicorns. know. To me, that seems burdensome. <laughs> yeah, unicorns. To me, that seems burdensome. It's not something yeah. I would want. Like, it's, if you're going to take the time out of your day to read 40,000 words that I've written, I'm really not going to ask you to, you know, fucking figure out a way to make it sweet. It's yeah. not a love letter. It's a critique. Just do exactly. your thing. You know, so again, that's why you want to work with someone you know, because hopefully they're going to be in the same line with you. Now, there are some people who are just nice. They're just nice people, and mm-hmm. they'll naturally think of nice ways to say things. So I'm not strange. one of them. I know. <laughs> For me. I don't understand those people. <laughs> I have a friend right now who's dealing with some medical stuff, and, you know, she's kind of a, a positive person online she shares positivity memes and stuff and so I've been trying to be very considerate of that and so I'll send her messages and I'll be like this is going to be amazing we're going to figure out what's going on and we're going to find a solution it's going to be awesome <laughs> and um, we were talking and she's like you know what you really got to stop it because it's driving me nuts that's not <laughs> that's not the you that I love that's not what I need from you I, I needed to be like this shit's a bitch. What the fuck's going wrong? We need to, you know, whatever. We're going to kick its ass, but not be fake <laughs> positive because yeah. it's not what she needs from me. So, you know, working with people you know, they understand where you're coming from. They're going to get from you what they need when you're legitimately being you, which might be a nice person who's really sweet or it might not. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you mentioned, like, the fake positivity. I think there's room to be positive without necessarily having to be saccharine. Um, So, you know, one tip I would give people is, yeah, your job is to help them find the problems. But if you notice good things when you're doing a critique, make sure you say that too. Let them know that something does work. And again, this is from, you know, in our past conversation, but I'm going to bring it up again. Um, I have a friend from high school and we were talking, you know, he knows I'm a writer and, he kept, like, pushing, like, why don't you write erotica, like, Fifty Shades of Grey? You'd make a lot of money. I mean, it, people will hear you're a writer, and that's, like, the thing to say. And I hate that. <laughs> but he kept pushing it and pushing it, and it was like, okay, you know, this this is not my thing. Erotica's not my thing. I'm all for it if somebody wants to write it. But I don't think I could write it very well. And I have thought about doing it as an experiment, and maybe someday I will. But not right now. I'm kind of busy, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, you've got enough. <laughs> and so I finally told him, I said, if you really think, like, he, like, had story ideas and everything. <laughs> and I was like, if you think this needs to be written, why don't you write it? He's just not a writer. <laughs> but I told him, I said, look, if you write the story, I promise that I will help you clean it up. I will. I will critique it. I will edit it. I will do whatever you want with it to help you make it more cohesive and something that you think that you can publish on Amazon just to do it and to try it. And as soon as he heard that, he was all gung-ho. He's like, sure, I'll do it. And so he starts writing, like literally, like I think it was that night that we were talking, he started writing. And I think by the next day, he had sent me the intro for the story. And it hadn't gone to any of the the dirty bits yet, <laughs> but it was it was terrible. I mean, it was terrible as far as like formatting and 
grammar and everything went like there was a paragraph that included dialogue from like two or three different people lumped into a single right. paragraph. It was awful to read. But the story itself was really, really good. And it was funny. And he said it wasn't supposed to be funny, but it was. It was great. I told him to keep that. And But what was great was that, A, he didn't just jump into the dirty parts, you know. I'm thinking, okay, this is a guy. He wants to write erotica. Of course, that's all he cares about. He's just going to go right to the facts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's going to send me some silty scene or something. But no, and he actually said to me, there's no sex yet or anything. I'm setting up the story. And I was like, almost shed a tear. I was just so happy that he was setting up the story. I was like, yeah. he gets it. That is so sweet. And it was really funny. It was just like, really, really good. So, yeah, I told him, I said, look, you know, your grammar and all that needs a lot of work. And the formatting is atrocious. <laughs> but story is really good you know you have something here um you know it almost feels more like it's going to be set up as a romantic comedy than erotica <laughs> so maybe i should nudge him in that direction but it was really really good yeah you have to be able to give that positive feedback too because i could have just said oh my god this is shit and it needs like so much work but the underlying elements were there it was there it just needed structural help um Structure, structural, <laughs> structural. This is, this structural. is like this is like you with um substantive, structural. <laughs> oh my god! We're and writers, we, we're not talkers, <laughs> but we communicate right. for a living. This is terrible. But so there was that, and then the same person before he sent me the intro to the story. He said something, and I'm paraphrasing, so I don't remember the exact words, but it was along the lines of just jokingly saying, you know, be gentle, I'm sensitive. And I knew he was joking, first of all, but at the same time, I've known this guy since high school, and I remember he could be sensitive. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, I remember back in school, there were one or two times where I just said something that didn't go over well with him, and he wouldn't speak to me for a month. So... It was like, I knew I needed to be a little bit gentle, but I also knew that, you know, he's a big boy and he can take it. So that was where it was like, yeah, so this is all kind of shit, but this is awesome. <laughs> and finding that balance, and maybe it would have been better to lead with the here's the good stuff <laughs> and ease them into the, the critique. Um, in this case, I did the opposite, but that was probably just me failing at communicating because it's April. Well, that's a good job. <laughs> Good job, communications major. <laughs> I am not, I'm a PR major, actually, but I do, I had a minor in speech communication, and I, well, I can't have a really conversation. Minor, so. <laughs> that's, um, that's what they say, though. They do say with the critique, you're supposed to leave with the good. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't do anything that consciously, but, you know, if you think about it, we're, we're all passionate about writing. We're all passionate about stories. We're all passionate about telling stories. We wouldn't spend this much time on it if we weren't. You know, we spend time reading about it, learning more about it. We spend time writing. We spend time critiquing. You know, it's like it's everything that we do. So we're all really passionate about it. When you're really passionate about it and you're critiquing someone's work, I mean, Unless you're a douchebag, you're not sitting there going, no, this is stupid, this is dumb, no one would ever do this, this is, you know, <laughs> you don't do that. You're reading it and you're going, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that person said that to you, you know, in the manuscript. And I tend to write those comments. Like if I want to talk to the girl who is going to trip and fall while she's running away from the murderer, I'll say, you know, oh my God, no, don't go there, don't, don't open that door, you know, whatever. Because... I want the author to know the reactions that the reader is having so that they understand, you know, hey, you're really doing your job, unless, of course, they didn't want that reaction, in which case they might want to rethink it. But, yeah, it's, it's critiquing is not about criticizing a manuscript. Critiquing is about making a manuscript the best it can be, and that means helping the author understand what they've done really, really well. Um, I think last time I told you about a, an old critique partner I'd had, another author, Emma Jameson. She really helped me refine my humor in uh, in some of the stuff that I was doing. She would highlight, 
when I'm writing humor, I don't, I didn't used to think of it in terms of jokes and uh, punchlines. I just didn't think of it that way. I'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if she said this and he said this? She made me realize that what I was doing was writing jokes and punchlines, or, or uh, writing, uh, I think that's how it goes, jokes and punchlines. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she would highlight them, and she'd be like, you know, you need to refine this. You've got too many extra words because it's stepping on your punchline. She helped me refine my humor, and that was so important. And she couldn't have done that if she wasn't enjoying the humor. So it also yeah. helped to know, oh, wow, look, this is funny. She knows this is funny. You know, it wasn't like I had nudge, nudge, wink, wink after all the jokes. <laughs> she, had to, she had to know that they were jokes because she was enjoying it. So yeah. sometimes the, the stuff that comes out in the critique itself even shows you that the person enjoyed it. So, you know, one final thing that I think maybe we should touch on is for people who aren't necessarily comfortable critiquing yet or receiving critiques, that one idea might be to try this in a group environment before you're doing it one-on-one. So join a critique group, see how others deliver critiques and how, you know, learn to take them. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good suggestion um, because I'm the kind of person who just consistently gives unsolicited advice. Um, <laughs> I've never had trouble critiquing, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't have had trouble, you know. So I can understand somebody who's maybe not wanting to critique or maybe maybe you don't even like your own work enough to feel that you should be critiquing another author. But even then, I mean, think of it in terms – of a reader, I guess, um, a reader who understands writing maybe better than, than the average reader. Yeah, I don't know. I guess joining a critique group would be good. I would say make sure it doesn't become a, a pylon where, you know, yeah, that really sucks. Why would you write it that way? You know, try to add something or think about what you would say that, that helps the situation, not that, you know, keeps hitting on the same point other people have hit on. Yeah. Um, See, now I'm like yeah. you in that I don't, I've never had an issue giving or taking a critique on an individual basis. So really, Yolanda and I are apparently terrible people to be giving you advice to join a critique group. But but if you're not as comfortable with this as we are, I still say, what the hell, give it a shot. So there's that. It's an option. My thing is embrace your inner asshole. Just as long as the goal of your inner asshole is not just to be mean, but to... To, I don't know, express yourself and make everything better. But see, that makes me sound like even more of an asshole because I'm like, hey, my inner asshole just wants to make everything better by giving my opinion, which is obviously <laughs> right and better than other people's. I think wow, what I love what the most, <laughs> I think what I love the most is that you literally just told people, don't be a douchebag, and then to embrace their inner asshole. And then you I just know, ended that right? calling yourself a douche. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that is the uh, moral of this episode. It is don't be a douchebag, but embrace your inner asshole. From Yolanda Prinzak. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you can figure out how to do that, good on you. Then you can critique anything. So, okay, I think that is probably all we have. So let's just rehash here. Basically, what we're saying is it is okay and can be a good thing to critique friends or to go to friends for critiques. But know the other person well. Know how you communicate well with each other. Don't be a douchebag. <laughs> Yet embrace your inner asshole. And remember to share the positive as well as the negative um, if you're going to give somebody a critique like this. That is all that we have for you today. So you can check back next week when I'll tackle a reader question about using pen names of the opposite gender and how it might influence your book marketing, especially when it comes to things like live events and phone interviews and other situations where you might not be able to hide your gender as you might want to. And if you want me to tackle something specific in a future episode, you can submit your writing-related questions through the contact form at allindiewriters.com slash podcast by emailing me at jen, that's J-E-N-N, at allindiewriters.com or by leaving me a voicemail at 484-575-1345. I want to thank you, Lander, for coming by. She was the last of my go-to gals to stop by the show, so 
I am super happy that she came by today. And you can find show notes and related links for this episode with Yolander at allindywriters.com slash podcast slash 21. You can also access this podcast, audio blog posts, and related audio productions, including a couple of audio plays that Yolander and I made for freelancers a few years back. Okay, like seven years back. And Yolander... Seven years ago? Seven years ago. and wow. Yeah, so seven years ago. And there is also a Writer's Beat special from Yolander somewhere there in those archives. So check that out. FreelanceTheater.com You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern a Freelance Theater production. Freelance Theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.